Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss. And today on the show, we've got Alex Bombain from Alexium. G'day, Alex. How are you, mate? I'm good, Rob. Let's do this. All right, hit it. Well, for regular listeners of the Go All In Podcast, you would know that one of my favorite topics to discuss is sales. But it's not the sales process that I like. It's the human interaction and how you can use the sales process to predict an outcome, to move closer to your goals and have some fun in the process. Today on the show, we've got Alex Bompain, who's one of the very best sales guys you'll ever meet, but he's not all rah-rah about selling. He's an expert at unlocking the potential of people and helping them to succeed in all aspects of life. And I would argue that's because when you get really good at sales, everything else around you improves as well. Now, if this is your first time here, welcome to the Goal In Show. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here at the Goal In Podcast, as I like to say. Before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and hit the subscribe button there as well. And don't forget to ring the bell. That way you'll always have a little bit of motivation and some Goal In love right there in your pocket. Lastly, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and family. Alex has a really important message to share. And if we can help just one person to break through their barriers and get unstuck, then we would have done our job here on the show today. All righty, let's get into this. In an ever-evolving marketplace, consumers and customers are smarter than ever before. You're constantly being fact-checked and compared, and often that's happening while you're speaking. And you never really know where someone is in the buying cycle when they're looking to purchase something. There's no doubt about it. The way things are bought and sold has changed radically over the last 10 to 15 years. But there's a few things in the sales process that never change. And it's these very things that Alex is an expert at helping people to articulate. He helps people to properly define their value proposition, to get crystal clear on their objectives. And ultimately, that unlocks the individual's potential and it creates incredible results in the process. Personally, I love the interaction and the opportunity to really help another person throughout the sales process. So if you're looking for better results in your sales and your life, then listen in closely as Alex drops value bomb after value bomb throughout this episode. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Alex Bompain. Well, good day, Alex. Welcome to the Goal In Podcast, mate. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Rob. Thanks for having me on board. Awesome, mate. Well, as the uh, regular listeners and viewers of this show would know, sales is one of my all-time favorite topics to talk about, but it's not so much sales I like talking about. It's the human interaction and the predictable outcomes that happen as a result of that. But before we get into any of this, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell the listeners and viewers, where are you from, mate? Where did you grow up? Oh, look, I grew up, I grew up in Melbourne, Victoria, in a, in a humble little suburb come, uh, called Sandringham, and and uh, and obviously been in, in training for the, the sort of last six months, and uh, and that sort of arena actually over thirteen years in the whole sales industry. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit about me. Very nice, very nice. And did you you grew up as I understood it as a little bit of research before this interview, uh, wanting to be a soccer superstar. Oh, look, I think when you're young, you know, I come from an academic family, right? So they're all academics. Uh, you know, most of my family have degrees, but that wasn't me. I was, I was more of the, uh, you know, athlete. I wanted to get out there, play a little bit of soccer. And, and look, to be honest, I actually had a, um, the opportunity to actually go overseas, unfortunately riddled with industry, uh, injuries, and, uh, and it just didn't happen for me. So 
then I, I decided to move to the next stage of my life. Mm-hmm. How, how old were you when, uh, so obviously you'd grown up and you weren't a teenager still, but you're still pretty young. How old were you when you realized it wasn't going to work out for you in soccer? Look, I think, uh, you know, soccer is still part of my DNA. I still play today, right? Um, and I'm still trying to live that dream through uh, from my parents. But, yep. you know, from age uh, basically three, I had the soccer ball at my foot, played all the way through until I was about 21, 22, and played at a, a pretty elite level uh, in, uh, in Melbourne. It was called the Premier League. But it was around age 15, uh, Willie, my coach at the time, he said, Alex, I'm going to send a video uh, of you overseas and let's see what comes back. And, uh, and something did come back. I had the opportunity to go to England. And, uh, and I, I, there was a defining moment, right? And this moment was, uh, it was a week prior to my departure. And, uh, and, uh, and we're playing this game and we're already ring, winning four. And at that time, I was playing left wing. And, uh, and uh, it was the dying seconds of the match and it was, a, it was a corner kick. And he said, and I said, you know, Willie, I want to go up there and, uh, and give this a crack. So he said, no, don't go, don't go. So anyway, me being young, not disciplined and, uh, and actually not listening, uh, I actually went up for the corner, landed on my ankle, keeper landed on the other side and, uh, and, and, and you know, I, I copped this injury that unfortunately is still with me today. Every time I play, inevitably at some point, I uh, ended up rolling my ankle. So it was, a, it was a defining moment because from age 15, 16, had another opportunity and it just went downhill. Yeah, so right. unfortunately, I was, never, I was never able to recover from it. That's what happens when you don't listen to the people you should. <laughs> well, how come you couldn't recover? No rehabbies get you any better? Look, I think when you're young, you're that type of person where you go, you know what, give me some cortisone shots. Let me go out there and give it a crack again. And, mm. uh, and I, was just, I was just that type of person that, you know, no matter what sort of injury, duress, pain I was under, I always pushed beyond the barrier because I just loved that sport so much and I just wanted to get out there. So unfortunately, I never really understood um, the importance of, maybe just give it a little bit of rest. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's not until you reach my age. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty old now. I'm 34. That you sort of really try, you really understand that maybe a little bit of rest um, it actually does you uh, some good. So I just didn't, just didn't do that when I was young. Yeah, you, you know, I, I can report the same things. I'm a little bit older than you. I've got 10 years on you, but um, I still feel like I'm 20. And my, you know, I, I still, my attitude is like, a 15 year old, like I will kick your ass all day long, every day of the week. I'll beat you in any race, any swimming race, anything. I'll beat you in anything, but, and I probably still can, but the next day I I just can't back up. I I can't back up like I used to. I'll just put it out there, mate. You, uh, you definitely uh, look a lot younger than, uh, than what you say you are, mate. So the lights, it it's the lights in the studio. <laughs> they wash out all the wrinkles and the grey hair. Well, I don't have the lights here, mate. I don't have the lights here. So. <laughs> very good, very good. And tell me, how long have you been um, doing what you're doing right now? How long have you been a sales coach for? And has it, is it a new business for you? Is it a new venture for you? Look, I think, I think um, it, it is a new business venture and it, it's actually been a passion of mine for, for many, many years. It actually spawned since I, um, you know, I, was being, I was a salesperson for such a long time and then became a sales manager. And as a sales manager, you end up having to train and develop the people underneath you or that, work, that partner with you. And then as you move up to the next level as a general manager, you end up having to work and coach the, the managers uh, that work with you too. So for probably five or six years, um, this insatiable thirst for, for training and development and, and seeing someone go from, you know, level one to level 10 just grew stronger. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, about six months ago, seven months ago, around sort of June, July, decided to, um, you know, take a plunge and give it a crack. 
And, uh, and this is where I am today. And the last six months have been exceptionally good, but I think that's also because I, I've, I've got a good network of people that support me as well. And, uh, and it's just it's one of those things, you never burn your bridges. You never know when, when uh, you're tapping that person's shoulder again. So it's worked in my favour. Yeah. So, so that's how I got into it. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, let's put a pin in that and we're going to circle back to that because I want to ask you some questions. One of the favorite things of having your own podcast, and I've got my own podcast right here, is I get to ask all the questions that I want to oh, ask a sales guy and do that. Shoot so, away, mate. Please go let's ahead. Circle, let's circle back to that. Before we uh, we get there, people come on over to the Go All In podcast, Alex, to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story? or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? I've already shared the soccer story and what happened from that. Uh, and if I, if I just touch upon a couple of other stories, because I, th I think it's, it's, what's that, it's what actually built me the person I am today and the three core values I've always followed. And, uh, and, and another story I wanted to talk about is that as a salesperson, one of the biggest aspirations I had was to become the best, right? Like any salesperson does. They want to sell the most. They want to make the most and, uh, and also prove to themselves that they can do better than what they did the previous month. So the first key point there is I never competed with someone else. I always competed against myself. But having said that, I finally got to where I wanted to be, which was become a sales manager. So I did that for several years. And in this business I worked for, uh, they ended up acquiring another business. So I said, Alex, tap me on the shoulder, go over there and see what you can do. And uh, the first day I walked over, I had 12 sales consultants um, let's just say some were crying because it was an acquisition and they loved their previous boss. And I had an exodus, I had a mass exodus uh, happen within the first week. And inevitably, that's what happens when you acquire, uh, you know, when a business acquires another business. So I had to start from ground zero, uh, hire, train, coach, develop, and build a new team again. And uh, got to that point of getting back to 12 sales consultants and, and what I thought at the time were doing quite well. And then I went to Thailand for a bit of a trip. It was well-deserved. And uh, but something in my gut, I don't you just hate it? You just have this itch in your gut and you think, bloody hell, what's going on behind the scenes? So I went to Thailand, came back, and, uh, and uh, I remember the first day. The first day I actually got back, the dealer principal pulled me upstairs. And uh, we had a close relationship. Unfortunately, it took him a while to get it out, but I knew where he was heading. Alex... It's not working out. You're a salesperson now. And when you've worked for so many years, dedicated to a particular business, dedicated to your role to become a 2IC, then a sales manager, and then not even demoted to 2IC, but demoted to sales manager, you, you kind of got to ask yourself, where did it go wrong? Mm. And I could have done a couple of things. I could have said, mate, see you later. Or I could have said, or I could have done what I did, which is, let me prove to you who I actually am. And so for the next month, uh, I went out there amongst the peers that I actually recruited and trained and coached and showed them how much of a, you know, how good I am at what I actually do. And that month, you know, I topped the leaderboard, made some really good growth, made some good money for myself. Um, and, uh, and, and so it taught me a lesson that sometimes in life, you're going to have some hurdles and you do have to go two steps back to take one step forward. And from there, it actually taught me that don't worry about what might happen, right? Always look to the future and actually and have this vision that pulls you towards it. So anyway, out of that, I actually uh, had another dealer principal call me up and said, mate, we're really sorry what happened. Can you come over here and manage this place? 
in the same group, in the same organisation? In the same group, yeah. But, you know, now I go on holidays. Since that time when, I, when I've worked for other businesses, I went on holidays and, you know, it didn't bother me anymore going away on holidays. If I came back and something happened, it happened. So I think it's really taught me, um, uh, it's given me some really good resilience. Mm. And, um, and I, think that's, I think that's one of the, the, the strengths, you know, um, uh, strings in my bow. Um, another really quick story I'll just share with you as well is that, you know, because I do come from a, a long line of uh, academics, uh, a brother, double degree, my dad's an aerospace engineer, you know, they always taught me, Alex, go to school, you know, get yourself educated, get yourself a good job. And of course, I'm a black sheep. You know, I, I'm the type of person that goes completely against the grain. So, so one thing from there is the, the vision that I have in life where I see myself in the next 10, 15, 20 years it was always about proving my parents that I can be better than just going to school. Mm. Um, and I think I've done that over the last five or six years. But these are all um, stories that have built me who I am today. Um, go against the grain. Um, don't worry about what inevitably might happen and just keep pushing beyond the barrier. Yeah. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an insight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I really appreciate you sharing that story as well, particularly about your job. You know, to, you know, on this podcast, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, but we don't have a lot of people that ever talk about their jobs. Um, so it's really good to hear about that. And, you know, I, I think personally, life is a game of snakes and ladders. You know, you, you, you roll the dice sometimes and it works really well. And it sounded like you, you rolled the dice, went on holidays and you came back, you had, a, you had a two to win and rolled a one and went all the way back down to the bottom of the board and you got to start again. And, you know, inevitably it's a metaphor for life, snakes and ladders. It, it kind of, it is, it is what it is, but you're, I always say it doesn't really matter what happens or what goes on. What matters is how you respond and how you react to those things. And it sounds like you, you had a good response to that. And it sounds like you look back at it with hindsight saying, well, I made a good decision there. That was, that was excellent. And, you know, talking about snakes and ladders, another one is, you know, I'm the type of person who plays a game of Russian roulette, not physically, but metaphorically. I'm the type of person that does go all in as per the podcast name. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things that if you don't push yourself beyond the barrier, if you don't look at every single negative impact you've had in your life and see that as a positive, not a negative, mm. right? Mm. You, you, you can't actually move forward. But I'm glad I had those experiences um, because there's a whole lot more in grade two. My teacher said to my mum that I've got dyslexia and she also said to me, Alex, uh, to, to my mum, he's got to go to speech therapy. So, you know, you go through life and, and people always say, oh, you know, he can't do this and he can't do that and he's got a problem. And the problem with that is that when we go to school, uh, and sorry to, to, to just keep elaborating here, mate, but when we go to school, you know, we're taught English and maths and we're, and we're taught all the necessities, right, but we're never taught how to effectively communicate with other, um, with other people to, to achieve a desired outcome. And the problem with school that I, I, I think is that it creates this boundary. And this boundary, unfortunately, it, 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 it just pulls people into this boundary that they can't just think outside the box. Mm. And, and then you have people that just, you know, they're happy to go to work nine to five. They can't do this and they can't break the rules. I'm not saying break the law, but sometimes you've just got to do things differently and you've just got to give it a crack. So, uh, so yeah, just wanted to, to pass that on. 
Yeah, it's it's and it's so true, and I, I agree. I'm I'm helping a lady at the moment. Her name's uh, Krista, and Krista, uh-huh. I'm helping her to launch her podcast because one of the services that we have, and you know, she's she's struggling with the name of the thing, and her, it, it, she settled she settled on the un the unconventional. So it's about the unconventional life, right? Where you don't have to go to work nine to five. You you don't yeah. have to live like that. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to do that. And I was like, wow, what a good topic, you know? I'm like, damn, I wish I had a thought of that sort of thing. You know? It's like really smart, right? Really clever. And she's a really smart woman and um and she's really articulate and she's able to explain herself really well. And I'm like, all right, cool. So as as we're going along and um, I'm helping her build her podcast and do that. We're at the point we've got the foundation there. And I, I said to her, all right, you're up for your first interview. Who have you got? And she said, oh, I'm interviewing one of my other mates. She's also a podcaster. And I'm like, well, what, what's the unconventional thing that she has? What's the unconventional life she has? She goes, oh, well, she's got an open marriage. that was the punchline to it right i was like never thought of that as being unconventional but it is right and it's not it is yeah and and it really does a good job of highlighting how you know you and i laugh at that properly and it really highlights that our society is very insular we are inside a box and somebody that you know, has an open marriage and lives a life like that is really like to, well, to me personally, I think, well, what, ah, it, it, it triggers all sorts of things in my mind, all sorts of questions and emotions and all sorts of things like that. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's an unconventional life. That'd be a good podcast. I'd listen to that as well. Oh, and you know what? I'd listen to that one too, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, interested, I'm interested to know. So it's, it sounds to me like, through your sales career and and doing what you've been doing in your job, it sounds to me like a lot of that has come from a, a competitive footballer. Look, it has, um, and and you know, but what I realised is that as a soccer player, I certainly had a natural talent. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I, I was the next Cristiano Ronaldo, but you know, I could certainly uh, walk onto that pitch and know that I'd be able to take on two or three players, put in a cross, and would score a goal. Um, so I walked in with the confidence uh, because of my natural talent. But here's the thing about natural talent. Um, you know, games aren't won on game day. They're won in the, in the practice arena. And unfortunately, when I was younger, yes, I did so much training, but I didn't have the discipline uh, to continue training. And uh, perhaps if I, if I had that, I, I may not be speaking to you today. I might, might be doing the podcast in Italy, playing yeah. for Juventus. That would have been a great story. But um, I also just want to share another, another thing with you because... I think it's really important the, the the power of the human brain, and and I, I just want to share with you. You know, I, I've been, I have tinnitus. And you know what tinnitus is, don't you? I know it very well. It's a close yeah. friend. Of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's ringing in the ears, and, and unfortunately, um, again on that same trip, you know, when we went to Thailand, uh, you know, I had you know, a wax build up and, you know, went to the local doctor there and probably shouldn't have done it, but they, they flushed it out. Unfortunately, the aftermath of that is, uh, you know, just blaring, ringing in the ears and then to come back and, and then be told that uh, you're now demoted. But the story I want to pass on is that, you know, people with tinnitus have had, uh, you know, there's a lot of suicides from it. Um, a lot of people can't handle it. It's, it's just, it's so entrenched into your daily life. It takes over because all you hear is this ringing in the ear. Um, you can't even think. Um, that's how bad it is. And, you know, and my, my wife, Galena, she'll know this because I was up for nights, if not weeks, 
um, at some points, you know, it took me to a, a really uh, low place where, you know, I just broke down, um, you know, crying. She was there. She was holding me. And, and so I jumped online and, you know, there's no cure for it. I went to the Iron Era Hospital. Sorry, mate, can't help you. And then I just jumped online and just searched the, the power of the brain and, and, and thinking that you don't have it. And if you meditate and you train yourself to thinking that it's not there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm reading this, I'm like, nah, this doesn't work. And so I just started, you know, doing what it said, started thinking it wasn't there, pretending I never had it, don't have this issue. And the power of, of, of self-speak eventually travelled into my brain and I've got to tell you now, mate, whilst I do have it and if I focus on it, I hear it, I don't hear it anymore. Mm. And, and I think if we, if we apply that same theory into what we want to achieve in sales um, and we push beyond the barrier and we can do more than what our, uh, the little devil on the left-hand corner here says, you can't do it and we push beyond that. Mm. Um, there's a great line that Will Smith says, you know, greatness um, is not some esoteric thing that only the elite are privileged to. Uh, we all can be great. Um, but there are those who do and there are those that don't. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, that it's, it's, it ties in perfectly with the goal-in mindset and the goal-in philosophy, right? You know, what you think of, you become. You know, if you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you won't. It's really yeah. uh, as simple as that. I, um, when I first started podcasting, inevitably, you, uh, you become a little bit of an equipment junkie and you're buying all these microphones, you've got all this gear, <laughs> you use all this stuff. And of course, one of the things that you buy is some nice headphones because any of excuse course. to do to spend 500 bucks on some Bose headphones. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I remember well, you, can you-, see, you can see I'm all bare here, mate. I got no headphones, no mic, straight from the computer. <laughs> you know, I, I got those Bose headphones out of the box and I was like, oh, these are pretty fancy, you know, like, I, I bought what I needed to buy, right? I bought, I bought four, I needed four pairs of headphones for the gear that I got. So I bought yes. four, Sony, three Sony ones and I bought the Bose ones for myself. They were like a hundred bucks more. And yep. I plugged them into my phone when I took them out of the box and I put them on and I was like, there was nothing playing, right? It was just plugged in. Yeah. I, was like, I can't hear anything. And it muffled out all of the sound. And I was like, that's what it sounds like when there's no ringing in my ears. that's what it it sounds like to be quiet and i'm like oh and i closed my eyes and i like i I didn't meditate or anything like that i closed my eyes and i remember closing my eyes and just thinking wow the sound of silence that's really cool and then it crept back in just like ever so slowly i'm like ah whatever just put some music on and it's all good but every now and then i put those headphones on so you've got it as well i got it from the army from all the shooting right and yeah, I remember exactly when it happened. We we're, were on an exercise in Townsville at high range. And yes. we patrolled up to this, um, this mock town and we went into this building <clears throat> and the bad guys that were playing the Red Force were on the other side of the street. And um, my mate, we're so inside a building, right? Like in a room, not much different to the room you're in now, but it has no furniture and it's just a concrete floor and there's no windows. It's just like where the window would be. And my mate kind of was next to me, probably a meter away from me. And he had the machine gun and he put the tripod, oh, sorry, the bipod up, up on the sill of the window and he's fight, facing out. And I was sort of not really watching what he was doing. And there was some bad guys running across the road and he was firing at them. And inside the building, the sound of the firing, I didn't have any hearing protection in and he had his hearing protection in. And I just remember like looking at him thinking, what are you doing, man? And my ears just immediately started ringing and they were ringing 
and they were ringing and they were ringing and they were ringing for like probably three or four days and it kind of went away a little bit. But then I realized I had like, but actually permanent damage to my ears. And um, yeah, it was pretty, not even live ammunition. Live ammunition is much louder than blank ammunition and training rounds and stuff like that. But yeah, I remember exactly when it happens because I remember thinking, yeah, that's like not quite right. And then in my and those, right, three to four, and, and those three to four days, right, when you've got this ring in your ear, you're just thinking to yourself, hey, what can I do? How do I get I out of this? Yeah, and nothing. there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. I thought it would go away and the, and the medic said to me, it, it'll calm down and it definitely did calm down and, and it definitely has gone away over time. But I think you're quite right about saying, you know, what it is that you train yourself to believe you'll believe. And it bothered me for a long time, but I just, I don't really feel like I don't have it because I hear it all the time, but it doesn't bother yeah. me. I'm like, uh. and then when I put the headphones on, I'm like, man, is that how everybody else hears? <laughs> <laughs> so quiet. Yeah, it's the same thing when I bought, when I went to the optometrist, they tested me and put on my, my fresh set of new eyes. You can I'm see. Like, wow, it's a new world. <laughs> so uh, it's a similar thing, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of an insight into your world there at work and, and playing that game of snakes and ladders and, and whatnot. I'm sure that's a familiar story in the corporate world to our listeners, and I really appreciate you sharing that. So thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Mate, I wanted to kind of move on from the goal-in story and learn a little bit about your business and exactly what it is that you do. I sort of alluded to it a little bit in the introduction to this show, uh, and you've talked about it a little bit, but let's get right into it. What, what's your company actually called? So it's called Alexium. So it's, uh, you know, it's got my first name, I-U-M on the end. I thought it was quite clever. But uh, essentially we're, we're, you know, our core business is training and development, whether that be in sales or leadership uh, and potentially dabble into um, fixed operations. And primarily we're working with automotive dealer groups. Um, but the thing about sales, the core principles are the same. Uh, and, and I think the point of difference with many trainers and because I've obviously attended um, uh, many training sessions um, and uh, and so on and so forth. But, you know, they give you the information and then see you later, wish you the best. Mm. And whilst it might be good and appeals to a broad audience, uh, nothing beats one-on-one. But whilst we do workshops, facilitation um, and, uh, and online training uh, within the dealer groups that we do, um, you know, biggest difference is we, we actually do the one-on-ones and we do live in-action testing with those individuals because I want to make sure that if I provide some content, is that content now being implemented? And then we also mystery shop those individuals in different ways, shapes or forms. But uh, so that, that's essentially what we do as a brand. Alexium is training and development. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I've got a method we, we, we train, we teach, um, uh, and, uh, and we tweak. So, so that, that's basically the three core values behind what we do. So, uh, so, uh, so that's, 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 uh, that's what I do. Nice. So the, the car sales has changed radically over the last couple of years and just the way people buy and sell cars has changed. Um, how do you know, and, and this is the conversation that I really wanted to get into. I want to get some some detail here oh, from you. Yeah. How do you know as a sales guy working in a car dealership where somebody is in a buying cycle? Because I know for me, like buying a car is not something that I do regularly. And if I was going to go and buy a new car, I'd do my homework first. And obviously I'd look around, I'd shop it around. And by the time I walked into a dealer, I'd be a long way 
from a long way along the buying cycle, ready to make a decision about something. How do you identify that these days? Well, look, I mean, there's a process in everything that we do, um, and uh, and we fully follow those steps, similar to baking a cake. You know, you put in the right ingredients at the right time, uh, you put it in the oven, and then at the end comes a beautiful cake. But if you don't put the right ingredients at the right time, then that cake's going to look very different, similar to the sales process. Right, so we've got to follow those steps. But, you know, the the I'll preface it by saying that many, many salespeople, number one, they follow the, uh, the process, but it becomes too robotic. So you've got to be yourself. You know, and you've got to have some human interaction and I'll overarch it by saying that, you know, unless you've built a solid foundation of trust with the person in front of you, then the partnership starts to blur. And unfortunately, there may or may not be a partnership. So you really want to create a strong bond. But the question is, how do you know if someone is there to buy a car? You know, in the car industry, we, you know, some people, and I hate this saying because someone will walk in and they'll say, oh, you know, that person's a tie kicker. Well, is he or is she? They've walked into your dealership for a reason. So the salesperson has to find that reason and solve their problem. Mm. So I guess in essence, you never really know if someone's there to buy a car unless you ask smart questions um, to get some good answers. And then then the other point I want to make is when you ask those questions and you get those answers, what do you intend to do with those answers? Mm. That's the importance behind it. So it's, uh, it, it's, there is an approach behind it, but it's all in the qualification. Yeah, beautifully yeah. said, beautifully said and well articulated as well. Uh, I wanted to ask a bit of a controversial question, if I may, about sales and yeah, sales and, and whatnot. And it's not a dig, um, even though you're ripe for the picking with the digs there. I'm not gonna go, <laughs> there was one right there. Uh, has, has YouTube ruined it for you guys? Look, I think um, it's it's really you know there there is a YouTube um, there's a couple of YouTube clips, but there's a there's a guy that's and I won't mention his name. He's in Australia, several million views, and he talks about how to beat the dealer, you know. Um, and I think a lot of the things that he's talking about are things that happened 20 years ago. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, the perception of uh, any customer who walks in or client walks into a dealership is they're stuck on perceptions that are are being told today that happened 20 years ago. Yeah. I also want to say that the life of a car salesperson or a sales consultant, it's not easy. Not everyone can do the job. Mm. The amount of people that have been employed and have said, Alex, or in whatever business I've worked in, in other businesses, you know, we can't do this anymore. I think a lot of people fail to realize it's not all glitz and glam. It's not, you know, that person is just sitting behind a desk. He's got his hands up in the air and just waiting for someone to come and buy a car. Car sales is actually a 24-7 job. The amount of times I was on my RDO and I'd get calls from customers. Now, whether it would be a complaint about whatever it was or whether it would be following up to sell a car, whether it would be delivering a vehicle to someone's house in your day off, mm. um, there are a lot of cold lunches left in dealership showrooms every day. And what I mean by that is that we're, you know, they're customer-facing. They might have spent $15, $20 on a lunch, but as soon as that customer walks in, bang, their lunch is forgotten. And, and I think we've got to give, give some credit to the industry um, because in today's day and age, it's about making sure the customer comes first. Mm. But unfortunately, it's been crippled um, by information that's been told today. That's what happened 15 to 20 and 30 years ago. Now, I'm not saying every dealer is perfect, but I'm saying there are so many dealers out there that are constantly trying to do the right thing 
by the customer all the time. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Um, so yes, the car sales stigma is around and unfortunately will always continue to be around. We have people on YouTube um, giving misperceptions based on old data. What about the the big websites that are out there that shall remain nameless for various different reasons? But I come into a dealer, maybe I'll give a shoe example because I did it myself recently. I went into cool. the shops, I needed a new new pair of wheels, new pair of running shoes. My ones had, had kind of worn out a couple of thousand kilometers in them, time to get some new ones. I went in there, tried them on, that's the size I need. I took the photo, I took a photo of the, the tongue of the shoe to see the sizes to make sure it was the right ones. And then yes. I immediately left the store, went and got a cup of coffee, sat down and looked online to see how much cheaper they were. And everybody's an expert. Everybody's an expert in sales strategies. Everybody's an expert in business. Everybody's an entrepreneur. Everybody's a, a smart ass when it comes to trying to find $200 cheaper in some particular product. And, you know, I looked online and I thought I could get those same shoes for like 80 bucks less there and a hundred bucks less there. And 50 bucks less there. And I thought, or I could just walk over there and pay those people that helped me to give me the shoes that I need and I could walk out with them right now, which is what I did, right? And yes. it just highlighted like my behavior and the behavior of what I was doing, you know, and it's not that I don't want to support retail and there's nothing wrong with looking for a bargain, but that must be awfully difficult when I'm doing that for a $200 pair of shoes, but somebody's doing that for a $30,000 car because that's a major purchase in somebody's life. So they're really taking their time to go through that process. And then they're armed with all of this information and all of these objections that you otherwise wouldn't have seen 10 years ago. It's very different to what it used to be. I mean, is it so wrong for a business to make money? You know, you, you, enter, you go into business really to make money. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, you know, the investment that dealerships put into, like let's look at Holden, for example. You obviously heard the news that happened recently with Holden. Yeah. You now there's 600 jobs in in head office that's no longer there, yeah. and 6,000 jobs nationally that's no longer there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. look, it's nothing that happened internally in Australia here, but you know, it, you know, Holden's been struggling for the last couple of years um, since the closure of um, you know local manufacturing. Um, but you know, then we extrapolate that to other brands and dealerships. That yeah, online does change things. Um, and, and, and what it does change, what it, what it, you know, in the dealership, quite often a salesperson will be faced, look, I'm going to go to three other dealerships, give me your best price. If you don't give me your best price, see you later. Uh, so quite often, uh, and, and this is fact, dealers are selling cars at losses. And people will ask, well, if they continue doing that, they'll close down. Well, here's the thing, they are. They are. And, and, that's, uh, and that's what happened. So, so uh, you know, it's it's not a bad like profit's not a bad word. You know, I would I would question anyone in whatever line of work that they do that if it was happening to them that they were shopping around three or four times, then the business had to close down because they weren't making money, and then they lost their job. How would they feel? Yeah. Um, having said that, it's important that you always get a good deal. I understand that. And competition is great. It's a good thing to have. So I'm not arguing against that. Um, and I always suggest that, you know, you, you know, do a little bit of homework, um, but trust the dealer that you're going to, you know, but also ask the right questions too. Yeah. If you're looking to buy a car.
And sales, so, sales is really hard as well, you know, especially when <clears throat> when people are comparing you all the time, they're fact-checking you and they're fact-checking and comparing you while you're talking to them with their bloody phone. You know, it's it's a very difficult thing to do. I know in, in the, the latter part of my uh, final days in my digital marketing agency, which I stepped out of about two years ago, um, I was a bit cynical about things and you probably shouldn't be cynical in a sales role, particularly with customers, but I'd had enough. And one person said to me, oh, that's a bit expensive compared to the competitors. Competitors, Can you do it for a cheaper price for me? And it just it popped out of my mouth. I didn't, I'd actually, the, the brain mouth connection didn't work. I said, well, I could do it for free. If you really wanted me to, I could work for free, but you don't want me to work for free, do you? You don't want my family to starve and you want me to make some money, don't you? And they were like, oh, geez, take it easy. Take it easy. And I'm like, yeah, it's time for me to kind of actually extract myself from this job and this business and go and find something else to do. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But yeah. it's true, right? You know, like, yeah. yeah. Can you do a better deal? Yeah, I can do it. I can do it for free. But if I do it for free, I'm going to go broke in the process. And you don't want me to go broke. You don't want me to go and put my family on the street. You want me to make some money and do that. We just got to find a price that works for you. That's kind of where it ended up. And you know what? They didn't buy from me and I don't blame them. <laughs> well, I think I think to, to leverage off that as well, you know, when, when you look at the automotive industry, I, I had a, a really good start. You know, the, the, the group that I was working for, they provided so much training. Mm. And unfortunately, with things that's happening with uh, uh, automotive economy, particularly with dealerships, there's, there's been, and, and a lot of industries I'll, I'll add as well, there's been a de-investment in training. So we've got a new wave, new breed of people coming through uh, in today's day and age in the workforce, but the de-investment in training is less and less and less. So dealerships and other industries are expecting a better result on unskilled people or unskilled frontline salespeople. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so that's, that's where I thought there was a hole in the market and thinking, you know, this needs to come back. Training and development needs to come back and we need to invest in people so they can be better at what they do. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we, you know, there, you don't need to lie and cheat and say something that's not there because that was the same old part of my friend's shit that used to happen 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. That's what gave it all a bad name. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, um, so you know, what, what part of what we, you know, it's, it's funny, I was dealing with a... Um, a salesperson the other day and we did a live action role play. So it was negotiating, cold, hard negotiating. Customer offered 65, uh, customer car was 65 grand. I offered 60 grand and I wanted to video record that. You know, the power behind seeing yourself outside your body is very powerful. Mm. But in that particular situation, you know, we went through it and then we debriefed afterwards. And I said, and, and this particular salesperson said to me, well, Alex, what would you do differently? And I left them on this concept. I said, Rather than telling the customer that you can or can't do that deal, have a think about it like this. Why not get the customer to tell you that you can or can't do the deal? Mm. It's a very different concept. And the strategic questions that we ask based on smart questions that we ask at the start to get those hidden gems of information allow us to use those techniques to get the customer to logically think what we can or can't. Yeah. And it's a very different approach. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. I, I implemented the uh, the Oren Claff inception method into my business in the last probably six, nine months, probably about nine months ago when his book came out. And the idea of inception is that I implant, as per the, the name of the movie, right? I implant my idea into your mind to get you to think it's a good idea. And when you think it's a good idea, then it's just a matter of mechanics. How can we work together? 
And the way that I use Inception for the for the listeners and viewers, if you don't know what that is or you've never heard that before, is I, I do a lot of uh, outreach via LinkedIn for my podcast booking agency. And I ask people um, if they would be interested in appearing on a podcast to offer expert commentary on whatever their particular uh, subject is, might be leadership, might be sales, might be something else. And if they reply to me, it says to me that they believe that going on a podcast is a good idea. So now it's just a question of mechanics. I don't have to get, I don't have to convince them why they should go on a podcast and amplify their message and share their brand and their business and their story and all that sort of stuff. They get it. So now it's a question of, well, usually they come back and say, well, what show? And I'm like, well, what about this one or that one? And they're like, oh, that's pretty good. Well, how do I do that? This is how you do that. How long does it take? This is how long it takes. So the questions that they've got are, discovery questions that they need more information about it and in that process of discovery it's a it's a meeting of the the two minds you you're building a relationship there you're building on trust there and eventually they they think well rob can handle my stuff that looks pretty good and the the natural transition into the uh to the purchase and the acquisition happens really well but it all starts right back at the very start with inception where i ask would you be interested in coming on a podcast and offering some expert commentary. And it's a giant ego stroke as well, right? Because if somebody asked me, I get asked to go on a podcast like four times this week and I'm going on the radio later today. And it's a giant ego stroke. And I saw a post in my Facebook from the radio station that, hey, guest alert. And there's a picture of me with my arms folded. And I'm like, <laughs> Who's that hang on, that's me. <laughs> it's a giant ego stroke, right? So if you can use inception of some sort, and that's what you're kind of describing as well. You're describing the process of inception. Well, 100%. And I've got to say, Rob, because you did the same thing to me. Would you like to jump on a podcast? Did it work? And then I it, Well, it did, mate, because I went into discovery stage and started asking you questions, and here I am. Here you are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and see, the thing is with that, though, you, you've got to be trained in that. You do. And it requires one-to-one training. It's not, you, you can read, I read it in a book, right? But I read Oren Claff's book. I listened to his audio book probably 20 times before I actually worked out how I could get there. But it would be easier if Alex came along and said, hey, here's how you do it. You don't have to tell me two times and I've got it. You know, so it's a much well, faster yeah. process. Well, well, you know, for, and for some people too, that would work, right? Because when, when I do this one-on-one coaching, so I, you know, I do the, I, I facilitate in the workshop and then when I go on one-on-one, some people are using it some people aren't. I'm thinking, okay, well, what's this person's learning style? How do they receive mm. the information and what works for them? Some people it's live in action. Some people it's, okay, well, let's give you the information, write it down, now write your own. And and sales is evolving. There is no one hidden gem, one hidden liner. It, it is all built around trust. But, you know, it's evolving and, and it needs to adapt to the changes in retail environments as well. And what, what I do is not necessarily give the information. Yes, of course, I give content. But now I want salespeople to think on their own feet. So, he, he, you know, there's three things, right, that, that salespeople need. Well, one, sharpness. It's, you know, how quickly can they respond to the question or objection, right? So they've got to be mentally sharp, right, and they've got to have a really good response rate. Second thing is tonality and pitch, Mm. So how are they how are they adding weight behind what they're saying? And they use their pitch and moderate that pitch with the person and then there's body language. So how do they add further weight with the body language on top of the pitch, on top of their sharpness? 
Mm. And so that requires lots of practice, whether it's your partner. I mean, my, my wife said to me, shut up, Alex. I'd go home. I'd, oh, babe, you know, let's, let's do an objection here. I'm no, tired. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I overcame more objections at home on my wife uh, and, then I, <laughs> and then I did it in the real world. Yeah, it's, but, you it's know, one, true. One person I can never overcome objections, though, mate, that's my wife. Yeah, you know, somehow, somehow she's able to redirect it around me. So but you're always selling there, right? That you're always selling there. That's the thing. That's, That's true. You know, I think Jordan Belfort does a good job of uh, his straight line sales technique on the phone with tonality and pitch and things like that. And being, you know, he he's, he leads with you got to be sharp as attack. And and whether you like Jordan Belfort or or not doesn't really matter. He's got some really excellent techniques that. Um, he's mastered over many, many years. And I feel like his straight line sales technique has evolved a lot as well. Well, he calls that, he calls that the syntax line. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I agree with him 1,000%. Mm. Yeah, it's good stuff. And, and I love how you can take the on-the-phone type uh, communication piece and you can bring that into the real world as well. And one of the things that I learned recently was about um, when I created this business, it was new. And so I've been involved in startups plenty over the years. I've helped a lot of people get their businesses off the ground, build their websites, their marketing, all that. And I've had a few myself. Some have worked, some have crashed and burned spectacularly along with a big chunk of cash in the process. Um, but that's kind of life and, and just going through life. But one of the things that I learned about this business is I was able to put something together that was really compelling. And it made me, made me question what is it that makes you compelling as a salesperson or as an individual actually? And where I, where I arrived and I distilled it all the way down is your expert status. When you have expertise in something and you're explaining that, it's, that guy really sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So that makes, it, makes you sound compelling and it sounds like you can handle whatever it is I need to be handled. And so you're more likely to win the business as a result of that stuff. And, you know, I, I discovered a couple of different ways to do that. And I've been doing it for a while without realizing. And then in Oren Claff's book, Flip the Script, he talks about it and he calls it a flash roll. And he talks about a flash roll is you talking about something for about a minute to 90 seconds using industry jargon and vernacular and being really offhanded about the way that you actually do it. And I've got a speaking engagement tomorrow um, that I have to go to. I'm speaking um, at an event tomorrow. And I thought, how do I, how do I be compelling? And as I was putting together the presentation over the last week, how do I be compelling without being a jerk about it? Because there's one thing to demonstrate expert status, but there's another thing to stand on a stage for an hour and deliver a keynote telling everybody that you're an expert, you look like a moron if you do that. So it's, it's periodically throughout the time that I'm with those people that I deliver that flash roll and then I'd be compelling in those places. And that's a version of selling from the stage without selling from the stage, if you like, because the people there are listening and they're like, they hear that 90 seconds of really fast gibberish double speak with all industry jargon and vernacular that they don't know. And they're like, man, this guy really knows his stuff. Then you do it again 15 minutes later, they're like, wow, he really is over all of that. And then again, so I've got three of those little flash rolls embedded in the, the, the 60 minute presentation in there as well. And, you know, I'm not telling you how to do your stuff or, or how, to, how something should be done, but if I was you, that's how I would do it. And you really oh, yeah. like that and it works really well. It's, it's actually a lot of fun to do as well. Well, you've used a key word there, compelled. 
right? And, uh, you know, there's, you know, for, bring it back to automotive for a second, you know, there's so many brands in Australia, but how do you compel someone to purchase what you're selling, whether mm-hmm. it's automotive or, or different industries? But, you know, over the phone, one of the things that we've spoken about is that that compelling moment, defining moment over the phone. So it's it's who is your idol? What is the story that you believe in? Everyone has an idol. Someone has a favourite movie or they love this particular song because of that uh, particular artist. And what they the reason why is they believe in the story. They love the story so much as to why that, and that's why they follow that particular person person or individual so if we apply what you're just saying then and what i'm talking about whether it's over the phone or in person it's that it's we've got to tell such a compelling story that it, it piques their curiosity yeah and once yeah. that curiosity is peaked then you can go in for the whether it's you know ask some trial closing questions or you know book an appointment or whatnot but it's that compelling story you're right which piques the curiosity Mm. And that's that's the that's the trajectory you're, you're taking that guest along, because in the meantime you're also painting mental images in their mind about what they should do too. It's very powerful. Yeah, and using intrigue, intrigue, and a little bit of humour as well always works. And in, intrigue makes people lean in because they're trying to anticipate. What I discovered in in selling over the years is as soon as they work you out, as soon as they've worked out what you're saying, they they switch off, and they switch off quickly. And, it, and it's actually pretty rude when somebody switches off. But I've seen people switch off. And when I see them do that, I realize that's a failing of my communication piece. And that's what I love about sales so much, right? Is it's your ability to communicate a message effectively and hold somebody's attention and maintain their attention for an outcome that you're looking for. And, you know, that's, that's, how, that's why I like it so much. And I enjoy that interaction. And ultimately, if you don't go in there trying to sell something trying to make money you're trying to actually genuinely help someone the best way you can help them is by actually helping them and you help somebody properly you're compelling about it you're off-handed about it and you're not tied to the outcome and you're not feeling needy you'll succeed you'll win and you know I, I found over the years that that has been something that has been really hard to do because I've always been reaching for the next goal and one thing that I'll, I'll share with, with you and with the audience and the, and the viewers is the thing that helped me a lot was to kind of make a little bit of peace with where I'm at. And when I've made peace with where I'm at, I've got a little bit of kind of Zen calmness about me. I'm not reaching for that next sales goal, that next thing. I'm, I must do this. I must get that. That's the goal that I've set. Nothing wrong with goals or targets. They're very important and you should absolutely set them. But if you can make peace with where you're at right now, I find that the the sale flows to you a little bit easier. And if you're not tied to the outcome of the engagement that you're working on right now, because you've made peace with where you're at, it'll flow to you easily because the vibe that you put out is completely different to well, oh, sometimes it can be desperation. Yeah. Oh my God, I've got to make this many sales this month to hit my yeah. target. No, don't do that. Well, yeah, I agree too. Cause that, that comes across as desperation if you're constantly thinking about it. And yeah. uh, you know, I just think, you know, and this is where I think people just sort of need to have that defining moment in their life that, you know, let's, let's not focus on the outcome. Let's, let's focus on taking that, that guest along, you know, a journey. Let's take them on a journey and, and change their, their need. I need something to a want. And we do that by building value in the product. Let's focus on our product and, and how, do we, how can they see that as now they need it. So whereas too many people, like you said, focus on the outcome. Great, um, Alex. If if somebody is listening to this in this little interaction that we're having as a fly on the wall in the podcast, 
Um, what would be the top one or two things that you would say to them not to do in the selling process, whether they're selling cars, podcasting, podcast setups, or whatever they're selling, what would be the top one or two things that you would say are the common mistakes that you see people and you kind of like palm, face palm yourself. And you're like, man, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. Look, the first one is, is that you go to a salesman, a customer will go to salesman B, A, and they'll hear the same thing. They'll go to salesman B and they'll hear the same thing. And then along the lines, you've got to, you've got to have a point of difference. You've got to be different and you've got to do things differently. And that isn't, you know, right at the end, you know, if I could, would you buy? You know, and quite often that's that's a statement that many, many people say. We've got to be different, right? So that, that's number one. Um, number two, the amount of information that the digital age has provided uh, people before they walk in, they will fact check you. So make sure that you know your product and what you're selling. And if you don't know, perhaps maybe say, I don't know, and I'll get back to you. Mm. And, and the third point is we're, we're talking about providing exceptional customer service. So why don't we just focus on delivering on our promises and do what we actually say we're going to do? That's the third point there too. So, yeah, Beautifully sorry. said, man. Beautifully said. They're like the fundamentals of business and the fundamentals yeah. of selling. And despite the changes that we've experienced with digital and mobile and all of the things that are out there, those things never change. And, and that's, no, um, I'm glad that you kind of said that and, and you highlighted that. The last piece I wanted to ask you in and around this section of the podcast was around authenticity. And you said it before, you just got to be yourself and um, you kind of got to do you. You got to stay within the boundaries of the organization that you work in or the, or the business that you have, but you still need to maintain some authenticity. And I'm interested to hear your, your comments and your feedback on that. Okay, so I'll refer back to I'll refer, so one of the, one of the programs we do is outbound phone training. <clears throat> so we teach us we teach a, a particular salesperson. We give them um, a story, what piques their curiosity to inevitably booking in an appointment, right? So that's the um, uh, the road to an appointment, right? And so there, there's a script because everything we do involves some type of scripts. Of course, and of course. and the, this particular individual uh, was very accented. Uh, so the sales language um, obviously didn't have the sales language the same as me. And, you know, to this person's credit, made a whole bunch of phone calls but didn't make an appointment. And he said to me, Alex, what, what's going on? Why can't I make an appointment? I'd put the accent on but I'm not very good with accents. Why can't I make this appointment? I said, all right, give me the script, turn it over and forget about it. You need to be yourself. Yeah, yeah. Don't use words that aren't your words. Don't say things that you don't feel comfortable with. If you be yourself and you just use some of the touch points, you'll get the appointment. Mm. He said, well, what do you mean? And I gave him one key point where we piqued their curiosity. And, and the thing about sales language is there's, there's words that people attach or associate mental pictures, like identified. Mm. We've identified your vehicle. Identified being, you know, magnifying glass. So we need to That's investigate that. Yeah, you're identifying yeah. me. You're talking to me. <laughs> unusual, something unusual's happened. That's another oh. key word. But, you know, just use some of the words in there and bring it into your own. Mm. And to his credit, he, he still made several calls, but finally made an appointment and then made another and then made another and then made another. So, so authenticity is really important because if you're not, people see through it. 
Yeah. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Alex, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of a, a window into your world and into the, to your version of selling and stuff. It's been a, yeah, a fun interaction. Yeah. I absolutely know that the listeners and viewers will get something out of that. I, I can't, uh, I can't not talk to a car guy and ask about the future of cars in the UK. You probably know you'd be across that there. They've put their hand up and said, we're going to get rid of petrol and diesel vehicles in the UK by 2030. Um, how do you see that here in, in the Australian market? And what, what are your views on that? I know I've got my personal views on it. I don't, I haven't updated my car's 12 years old and I haven't updated it because I feel like a petrol car is a horse and cart and I want an electric car, but I can't get there. There's, there's nothing to buy that's, that's reasonably priced. That's any good. There's nowhere really to charge the thing that I really know of in terms of infrastructure. Um, and I'm just like, well, the car I've got will be good enough until that catches up in maybe three or four years time. And then it really is time to upgrade that car anyway. So it's not really an issue. So I'm interested to hear your feedback. Well, first of all, in, in Australia and actually New Zealand, they've said, you know, we, we want to try and make by 2030 all our cars electric. And in yep. Australia, they've said uh, 50% of our cars electric. So what is that going to do to the market here? I, I think the, the Australian market uh, is... It's probably, look, five to ten years behind the rest of the world as far as how soon we'll migrate to everything. Um, there'll always be the need for a, for a car salesperson and dealerships because I think the Australian market, whilst we are migrating to online, we're not fully online yet with online buying. And, and people in Australia, in my view, like myself, I, I don't buy online much. I like going into the place, touch, feel and move forward. Um, as far as electric, it's it's obviously something from from uh, that's a push around the world for obvious reasons, and I think we do need to go there. Um, but I think I think it's probably going to take, like the Australian government said, ten years, fifty percent. We are about ten years behind the rest of the world when it comes to adopting um, new technologies. Mm. So we've, we've got some time left before do, we fully. Do you, know where, do you know where all the electric motorbikes are? Oh, uh, you know what? Right, I was. <laughs> Well, I think you can actually, there's actually a place down in Malvern in Victoria, mate. I was actually looking at buying one the other day, um, yep. but then I looked at my driver's license and didn't have the bike, bike element to it, so i got to go get a bike license for it. Damn. So, <laughs> oh, they're good. I actually bought an electric scooter the other day. It's uh, it's amazing. you got to get one, mate, so definitely invest in it. But, yeah, we're a bit of time away from it, but uh, I believe we'll get there. I was at a, um, at a defense expo in Adelaide at the end of last year. It was called Land Forces. And that's when all of the, the, it's like an arms dealership thing. that They all come to Australia and pitch in the Australian government, a whole bunch of stuff. And I was doing some reporting and some podcasting down there. And one of the things that they had were these tactical motorbikes. And they were for the, for the cops, right? And for the SF guys. And it's like a trail bike the size of a Yamaha 426, but it's completely electric and it's silent. And they showed like footage of these cops rocking up into these places in, you know, these questionable places in America and they're silent in these raids as they rock up on these motorbikes. And I'm like, man, how do you, how do you get one of those things? And, you know, I sat on the thing and it's like, it feels like a proper trail bike, like a proper motorbike yeah. and watch the videos and it's like completely silent. And I'm like, where do I get one? You know, it's military yeah. tech that's available there like that. But I, I think there'd be a, a big uptake of something like that if it was here in Australia. Well, I think I think the Australians they still love some Australians still love their V8s and you know, of course. You know they, they love that sort of stuff the big petrol heads and I think um, taking it up here whilst you've got the efficiency element 
Mm. There's also a big portion of the market that still love their V8s and powerful cars. And how do we make an electric vehicle assimilate that? So I know that they're talking or bringing out or releasing soon um, the, the exhaust note of a V8 into an electric vehicle. Trying, <laughs> trying to make people feel like they're still in a petrol car, you know? Well, I asked my brother the other day the same question. Where are all the electric bikes? And he, his response was, what do you want an electric bike for? It has no gears. The whole point of it was clutching gears. And I was like, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, but kind of was neither here nor there to me. The whole point of having an electric bike was to have it so it was efficient for me, you know, and for oh, of course. My life and make things cheaper and easier and better and green. But can I just say, you know, it's a very small scale. I'm, I'm kicking around on this scooter, but it's just instant power. You hit it, instant power goes through. You don't have to worry about going to the petrol station. You plug it in, same thing as a car. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think I think the concern is more the, the battery and the longevity of the battery and the distance travelled. And also, we don't have enough recharge stations yet. So yeah. hopefully, if they're able to fix those recharge stations, I think the uptake in, in electric sales will climb. Yeah, I saw a bit of tech come out recently, the solid-state lithium-ion batteries. Um, yeah. that, that will change it if and the reason so I was reading an article someone was saying the reason that electric cars hadn't had a huge uptake is because of the limited range and the solid state electric lithium ion batteries give the car a range of like 1500 miles and if you put that same battery in your phone you charge your phone once and it would last you like 10 days on one charge and my stupid Samsung Galaxy phone here for a thousand bucks like it won't even last a whole day and that's because of the battery technology, right? That if that well, changes... Samsung, and- Samsung, sorry to jump in there, Rob. Samsung are looking at bringing out some uh, graphene-type technology. Yeah, that's, well, that's where it all go, it's all, all going, yeah. right? And so, yeah, yeah it's, a really, it's a really interesting and dynamic future ahead for the, for the automotive industry, that's for sure. Oh, 100%. But, um, but again, I think, I think the, the people still want to look, touch, feel, experience. Yeah, um, totally. and, now yeah. we just need, and now we just need a sales force to be able to provide that, that, um, that service. I know a guy who can train him. Oh, I wonder who that would be, Rob. (laughs) Ali, thank you so much for spending, well, we're nearly bumping up against an hour here. Uh, Thanks for spending an hour here with us on the Goal In podcast. I can't can't let you leave the podcast without putting you in the podcaster's hot seat. It's a couple of random questions, and that was being a bit random here towards the end of it. But I'm going to ask these ones anyway because I know that a lot of my, uh, my listeners, one of their favorite things to do is to travel. Uh, that's my one of my favorite things to travel as well. Have you got a favorite holiday destination that you've traveled to around the world that we maybe don't know about? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. See, my, my wife, she's Ukrainian, and I'm Italian uh, by heritage, so first-generation Italian, and, and love Italy, right? But she said, Alex, let's go visit my um, motherland. I said, okay, where are we going? Lviv, Lviv, for some people. And I just didn't know what to think of it. It's a major city in in Ukraine. We went there and it was just magical. It was an ancient city, 400 churches, beautiful food, beautiful people, just an amazing place. Would I go there again? Definitely loved it. Very nice. Australia is an amazing place, but there's no history here. Well, look, I think um, a lot of Australians haven't visited Australia. So, so. And I keep saying, I keep saying to uh, my wife Galena, I keep saying, babe, let's just let's just go travel around Australia. She's like, but why would we do that when we go around the world? I'm like, but we haven't travelled Australia yet. Yeah. So, I, like, at one point, I really want to travel all the hot spots around Australia because it is a beautiful country, that's for sure. Have you been to Uluru? 
Uh, you know what, mate? Uh, that is that is a plan. Um, I've been to um, Kings Canyon, uh, but I haven't been to Uluru, and I definitely want to go there. Mm. But you know, a lovely a lovely destination. We always travel up to once uh, once a year or twice a year. We always go up to Warren for a couple of days or a week, and nice. uh, that's a beautiful place. And you go down the Great Ocean Road. So yeah, you're right. I, th- I think Australia is probably a place that a lot of people really do need to visit more. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I always thought Uluru. And- why would you want to go there? And um, last year I had an event there. We're speaking there and um, well, I guess I'm going to Uluru, right? At least I don't have to. <laughs> uh, but if anyone's listening or watching this, pay to go there. It's incredible. Um, but you can't, you can't walk, walk on it anymore now. I think they've stopped that. Happening. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to. Yeah. And, and yeah. Even, even if you could, you probably wouldn't want to because uh, it's, a, it's a pretty sacred place. And yeah. you hear that and you're like, yeah, whatever. But when you go there, you're like, no, this is a really sacred place, yeah. and you you can yeah. see and uh, just incredible experience actually, and it's yeah something that you sh- every Australian should go and and see. And I, I was always of the opinion like, yeah, the photos are good, it looks really nice and stuff, but when you see it like firsthand, it's yeah, it's great. So you're quite right. More Australians should see more of Australia. Oh, definitely. And don't, and look, the thing every time you go away on holiday, why is it we always ask ourselves? oh, you know, this person's just got such an amazing life. They always look relaxed. You know, when you go to Europe, you see people around the borders or on boats and they're always relaxed. Michael, can't I have a life like that? When I get back, (laughs) yeah, that's right. When I get back, my life's going to be like that. And then you get back to work here and you start working, 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 working. So, you know, I, I actually, you know, I probably should take a note out of my, uh, my own uh, page, uh, book there is, is actually do a bit more travel than I have. Yeah. Probably been embedded too much in the work, especially recently, but um, it's definitely something I need to do more often. Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. What, tell me, mate, what's a, uh, what's a skill that you've not yet mastered? You know, it's it's funny, like quite often in an interview, right, you ask someone, uh, you know, uh, what is the one thing that you think you need improvement on? And you sit there and you start thinking, right? But, you know, everything, okay, number one, public speaking, right? Public speaking over the years, you know, when I first did it, I would get really nervous, really, really nervous. But I always had this mindset to do it, do it, do it. And each time I did it, the nerve, the nerves went away and the heartbeats were a little bit slower and now I can go do it. Um, similar to this, jumped on, this is my first podcast, right? The nerves start at the end and towards the end, they start to move away. So if, if I really had to talk about an area of improvement, I think for myself, um, it's, you know, because I'm, let's say within my business, I'm I'm going out there, I'm providing, I'm facilitating, but where I'm lacking a little bit is just making sure that I've got my back end right with the systems. So now it's like, okay, well, now I need to define my systems and put them in place. And of course, the thing about that is time. Yeah. When do you have the time to do something? So for me, it's more about a time management thing at the moment. And I probably need to, to just make sure I'm, I'm just, I'll work on that better. Beautifully said. Tell me, what's the uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Um, there's a guy named Dan Penner, and you know he does drop the f bomb. Just do <laughs> you've it. Heard him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? You know, just do it is what he said. And you know what holds me? Um, and sorry to digress a little bit, but you know, for years I wanted to start my own business, Rob. And you know, it's like, okay, well, what if it doesn't work? And I've got mortgages to pay and, you know, and then obviously my wife, you know, saying, oh, maybe not yet. My parents always saying, no, no, you, you've got to be at work and you've got to have a PAYG and all this. 
And then it got to a point where, you know, and I listened to Dan Penner and he's like, just come out and do it. And I, and I have to say one night I went to bed, I woke up, Moses, it was in my dreams. I'm just talking metaphorically here and he parted the sea. And I just had this direct vision and I just said to myself, you know what, I'm going to do this. And the next day I woke up and spoke to my boss at the time. So uh, it's just go out and do it. Yeah, beautifully yeah. said. I, I like a little bit of Dan Pena as well. He's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, he's got to take the guy in small doses. <laughs> he is full on. That's why I only watch the three or four minute clips. Yeah, that's right. That's all you can do. <laughs> nice one. Hey, Alex, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, look, there's heaps of different ways. Um, you can either contact me through LinkedIn. I've also got my mobile number there. Jump on the website, uh, submit an inquiry. But I think the question that needs to be asked is that the, the uh, you know, or a statement is the single big, biggest investment you can make is in your people. So so if you'd love to reach out, um, be warmly received. And uh, and those are the two areas that you can uh, touch base. So number is 0414-569-704. Excellent. And if you're listening to this podcast, just take a little peek at your show notes. Just pay, take a peek at your phone. And right there in the show notes are going to be all of the links to Alex's LinkedIn, his website, and his phone number as well. So you don't have to go poking around in Google. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and it's right there in the show notes as well. Well, before I let you go, mate, and close out this podcast, I've got to ask you for a, a parting shot, a little bit of parting wisdom. What have you got for us, mate? Uh, look, I think if I really dig down into the trenches, mate, there's quite a few there. But, um, but you know, you know there's, there's, there's one final thing. And I actually heard this on a motivational video. Uh, and, it, and it goes like this. Those who see the invisible can do the impossible. And it's just very powerful. So they're my parting notes. Hopefully uh, you loved it. That's nice and deep to end it all out. Thanks for coming on the Golden Podcast, mate. Really appreciate your, you spending some time with us and we look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Alex, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to his website and socials are right there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and all of the details to his website and his socials are there as well in the show notes. Now, if you've got a message or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Goal In socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goalin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. Something to